Now, to help us navigate this topic, we're going to ask some very basic questions about prayer. And the first basic question we're going to ask is, who were they praying to? Who were they praying to? Anybody? Yes, God. They were praying to God. You guys are sharp today. They're praying to God. In fact, let's look at it. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard it, the, speaking of the followers of Jesus, hearing about the persecution of their brothers, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice something here. They didn't say what we always tend to say when we pray. What would we say? We tend to say, dear God. That's not what they said. They said, sovereign Lord. When is the last time you prayed and you opened up with sovereign Lord? I do not know the last time. Okay, I did this morning, but that was because I studied all week, so it doesn't count. I don't remember before this week the last time I opened up with sovereign Lord. Sovereign meaning someone who has authority over everything. This was huge for the early church because if he's sovereign over everything, that means he's in control over everything and nobody can take that control from him. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalms 22 says that all dominion, all rule and all authority belongs to him. Psalm 47 says that all the kings of the earth belong to God. Let me tell you, that last one gives me comfort when I watch the news. Man, I think this is such a good way to pray. I'm asking the Lord to help me to remember this, that instead of saying, dear God, which is nothing wrong with that, that I remember more often to say, dear sovereign Lord. And and, and why I point this out, because it it affects the way that you pray. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when, when your marriage feels like it's falling apart, when you're single and you feel like you're never going to get married, when you are struggling in your career path and where you think you want to be in life, when, when cancer and disease is at its height, when, when things are confusing in the home, they're confusing in the workplace, when life does not seem to be making sense, it is good to know that you can fall on your knees and look up to a God that is not just a God, but he is the only God, the sovereign God. Now, that doesn't mean that God saves you from everything. We know that's clear and transparent in the Bible, in our lives, but it means that even those, listen, listen, even those who would harm you, they're on a leash. They're on a leash. That means God will allow some things, but they are on a leash. And when we realize this, we are able to embody Psalms 46, one, that says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. But this is easy for us to forget, isn't it? Come on. How many times you come in on Sunday morning, you're praising Jesus, five minutes outside of the church, someone causes you, stops you with a problem, and boom, that whole sovereignness is gone. You're like, you've totally forgot. You're back in fear, you're back in anxiety, you're back in anger. This is why prayer is important and something we should be doing all the time. This is why it tells us to pray without anybody ceasing because we have to remember because it's easy for us to forget. It's like, man, you got to keep going to God. You got to keep going over and over throughout the day. Lord, you're sovereign. You're sovereign. I trust in you. you know, this is a horrible analogy, but it makes the point. It's like everywhere, I, I don't know about you, but I like cannot breathe if I don't have my cell phone with me. I cannot breathe. Okay, I do panic attacks. I'm like, where is it? 
I'm always constantly checking everywhere I go. Is my phone with me? Is my phone with me? And every time I touch my phone and I know it's with me, I feel a sense of peace and a sense of calm. I know that is sinful, but you all probably feel that way too, right? This is how prayer works, is that the more that we, we have to go to him over and over, God, he's still there? God, he's still there? Are you there? Oh yeah, you're there. You're still sovereign. You're still in control. That we have that peace. This is why it says in Isaiah 26, 3, you keep, in him, keep him in perfect peace, or her, whose mind is stayed, stayed on you, a permanent place, because he trusts in you. This is why prayer is so important especially in the early church because they were facing persecution because they're reminded that God is sovereign in every situation. Do you remind yourself outside of Sunday morning that God is sovereign? Do you remind yourself of that in prayer? That's what the early church did. They went to God because he was sovereign. Now, they didn't only just go to him because he was sovereign. They also went to him because he is the God that supplies everything that we need. Do you know that this morning? That God supplies everything that you need. In Acts 17, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna read a verse for you. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm gonna read it for you. And it teaches a lot about prayer and about how the early church viewed prayer. And there's a secret in this passage, a secret the early church knew that, that we don't realize that brings us into a place of constant prayer. And in Acts 17, Paul is talking at Mars Hill. And it's basically a, a, a bunch of people who want nothing to do with the gospel. They're closed off to it. And listen, this is what he tells them. Actually, no, I do have a slide for it. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, here's the key secret the early church knew. They knew that the power of God in the church is not found in them just going out and serving God, but it was being supplied by God. Let me say it again. They understood that the power of God was not just going out and serving God, but it was being supplied by God. It wasn't them going out just to do a bunch of things for God. They were dependent on the power of God, the God's supply to help them do the things that he called them to do. And then why is this important to prayer? Because when you realize that you can do absolutely nothing outside of God's supply and power, it makes you desperate to seek his face. I mean, too often we live, especially in this, in our Americans, you can do it, don't tread on me, independent culture. We just, we can do it. Man, culture teaches you all the time. We can do it. And we do this even when we serve God. Well, I'm gonna go do this for the Lord. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And then when do we come to God? Only when things get in trouble. When we're at the rope of all of our ideas all our problem-solving techniques, all of our buildings, all of our abilities, when we're just scratching our head, we're out of answers, we're out of options, that's when we go to God in prayer. Imagine for me, now some of us do this by accident, but man is having this actual philosophy that you only went to the gas station when your car was empty. Hey, your car's, your car's low on gas, it's okay. When it runs out, then I will go to the gas station. 
Nobody does that, at least on purpose, right? Because you know that without the gas, you can't get to go where you need to go. So you go to the gas station, hopefully, if you remember first. In Acts 4, this is what they did. When, when they found out about the persecution that their brothers were undertaking, they, they, they prayed and they said, God, we need your boldness to proclaim the Lord. We need it, Lord. Give it to us. We don't have it. We need your power. We need your supply. And what happens? God gives it. God supplied them with everything that they need to accomplish the mission that he called them to. Man, when you, when you realize when you realize this, that you can't even get started without God, it makes you desperate for prayer. You know, some of you, some of you have told me you think I'm a good preacher. Uh, some of you may not think I'm a great preacher, but that's okay. The Lord will bring you around eventually. <laughs> you might be surprised, for those of you who are enlightened by the Holy Spirit and do think I'm a good preacher, you might be surprised to know that when I first started preaching, the pastor would get complaints. I was an associate pastor. He would get complaints when I would preach when he was gone, which makes you feel real good, by the way. He would get complaints. And he'd be like, can I just ever leave for a weekend? And now partly I was a brand new preacher. And like anybody in anything, you need to put in time and you need to put in effort to whatever you do to get better, to get skilled, right? But I'll tell you, one of the reasons that I struggled with my preaching when I started is because I was trying to create these perfect sermons. I was trying to put in these three points. They had to rhyme with the same letter. You know, uh, I had to put in a humor every other paragraph. You know, I, I was trying to craft this. I wasn't dependent upon the Lord in prayer. And I learned the hard way that I must rely on God's spirit, that I cannot be an effective preacher of his word without his anointing. And so now I still put in the work. I work hard. I put in those 15 to 20 hours to make sure that I give you the best message I can. But at the end of the day, I have come to learn that I don't have the capacity to know what is good to say and what's not good to say. You know, when I read the scriptures, how to word, I'm like, Lord, I'm so dependent on you. I will be horrible without you. I become desperate for him. And because I become desperate for him, I pray at the beginning of what I do now. And this goes for all of us, that we will spin our wheels in religious activity apart from prayer. We depend on ourselves of what we like, what we think is a good idea, what we've planned, and we only pray when we go get into power. We, we're not living as if his supply is what we need to even get started. I mean, we live in a day in society where everything is like more work and more programs and more new ideas and more methods, and it creeps into the church. Churches left and right here. I get uh, emails for it all the time. How to grow your church in five ways. You, you get the, you know, and they come up with these new ideas and these uh, new programs and these new methods instead of encouraging you to go to more prayer and more prayer and more prayer and more prayer. Now that doesn't mean some of these new ideas and methods are not useful, but it also doesn't mean that God is gonna want you to use them. At the end of the day, the only thing that you can depend on is getting on your knees and saying, Lord, I'm trying to discern your will. What is it you want me to do? And Lord, will you give me the power to do it? John 15, seven says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This does not mean that Jesus is a genie in the bottle, right? 
because if you, and he'll give you whatever you want, because if you abide in him and you abide in his words, then you are going to ask for the right things. Church, if we are asking for the right things, if we're focused on his will, asking for the power and supply to serve his gospel, God stands ready and willing to give us everything that we need in our lives and in this church to spread the gospel, if we would just ask. How would your life, prayer life change if you realized he was your supply? How would your prayer life change if you realized that you could not do your job in a way that honored him without his help? That you could not be a father, a mother, a wife, a husband, a grandfather, a grandmother, a cousin, an uncle. You could not, there's nothing that you could do without his supply and power. You know how it would change you? It means you would walk into every situation and say, Lord, help me to be the man or be the woman you called me to be. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. Everywhere you would go, you would get in a habit of calling upon his name because you know you couldn't do it without him. I mean, and, and, and really that's why they asked God to supply them. They didn't ask God to supply them so they could have a happy life. Lord, supply us with your blessings. Make your blessings just fall down like raindrops upon my face. They did not pray for that. They prayed for his supply. They may fulfill his mission. That's why they were so effective in prayer. That's why they prayed so much. Lord, we don't just need your supply for happiness and joy. We need your supply so we can fulfill the mission that you gave us to, called to. Listen, if you sit here today, I don't know if you know this. You might know this here, but you may not know this here. If you sit here today, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if that is you, you're on a mission. Boom, day one. And your mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever the Lord calls you to, either by his word or by his spirit. That is your main priority in life. Everything else falls second, far second. So far second, there isn't even a piece of paper graph big enough to show the difference. That is what your life's call is. And when you're living that life's call, you will be a person of prayer. I mean, in the book of Acts, you see them praying time and time again. If you even go past chapter seven, and you see it all intertwined and linked with the mission of the church. Some of you might be familiar with him is a named Pastor John Piper. And he wrote this book, uh, and it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he talks about the place of prayer in the mission of the church. And he likes and likens it to um, wartime walkie-talkies. You guys remember walkie-talkies? And I want you to hear what he says. He says, it is as though the field commander Jesus called in the troops and gave them a crucial mission, go and spread the gospel, and handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you a personal access to him through these transmitters. And if you stay true to his mission, you seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. He'll give you tactical advice. He'll send an air cover when you need it. Man, that's good. He says, here are your walkie-talkies. Use them as you go out on mission. And when you need help, call in. He will supply everything that you need. 
He will send in cover. He'll send in strength. He's going to tell you what's going on in the battle. He's going to help you see behind the enemy lines. And he's going to prepare you for what you're about to face. And anyone who has lived at any point in their lives, focus on the mission of Jesus, you know exactly what this is like. When God says, boom, go do this. You're like, okay, and you're doing it. And you're like, God, I need help with this. I don't know what to do with this. And then he starts answering you. You know what it's like. It's a cool thing. Now, some of us, we, we don't know what this is like. I'm gonna tell you one of the reasons why we haven't ever experienced this. It's because we live lives like prayer is not important. We don't live in a way that we need prayer. Because you don't need prayer when you're binge watching Netflix. You don't need prayer when you're surfing the internet. You don't need prayer when you're out partying with your friends. You, you, you don't need prayer when there's literally no risk in your Christian life. When you're not sacrificing a thing. You don't need prayer when you're trying to be cool in front of your friends. You don't need prayer when you're making life all about you. You don't need prayer when you're going through the monotonous motions of religious activity where you show up on Sunday, sing some songs, listen to a message, and go back home to your normal life. And the scary thing is it is impossible to do that in this culture. It's not impossible. I don't think it's possible to do that like in Afghanistan right now where every day your life is on the line. But in our culture, it is possible that you could go from salvation, from the point of salvation to the point of death and never really need any prayer. However, if the longing of your heart day in and day out is to lead other people to Jesus Christ, when, you're, when your soul aches for the, for the billion of people who have who've never heard of Christ, and when you surrender your life and say, God, I'm done, my life is yours, use it however you see fit to tell other people about Jesus, that's when you need prayer. That's when you depend on prayer, when you put yourselves in those situations. Man, I remember when I was in, I went to Kenya on a, a missions trip once. I went to Kenya. I tell you, that was a place of, <laughs> I need a lot of prayer. Man, when, when, when we go driving around, I was praying. You ever been to Kenya? They don't have traffic laws. They have traffic suggestions. They're not even suggestions. These people will weave around each other. There ain't no stoplights. They're just going everywhere. People are crossing freeways like it's nobody's business. It is crazy. People are driving their motorbikes around with about 19 things going 20 feet high up the air like they just busted out of Ikea. I don't know how the bike even runs. I remember we were driving one time and a guy on a bike, he just he drove up as he was waiting to move. He put his armrest right in my window. I'm like, who are you? I'm like, I was praying. Pastor said, don't worry, don't worry. Driving in Kenya is like a dance. Everybody knows how to move. I'm like, what kind of dance? A mosh pit? <laughs> Ooh, I was praying. When you're driving at, at night and you're driving on the right side of the road and you forget that they don't drive on the left side of the road or they drive, it was the opposite, and you see the headlights, you know what I mean, and they see the headlights coming and you think you're about to get hit by a car, you're praying. When they would serve me food and I would ask what kind of food was this? And they would say, trust me, you like it. You know what that's code for? If I told you what you were about to eat, you would not eat it. I was praying. 
I remember we went to these shady parts of town to do ministry. And then and the young female guy that was with me, she would say, I want you to stay close with me. We're in a dangerous part of town. Some people look at white people as rich people and they will try to rob you if you're alone. So stay next to me. And I looked at her and she was five foot nothing and 90 pounds, not even soaking wet. She had to be soaking wet twice to be worth 90 pounds. But I'll tell you, I stuck right by that side. I was praying. When you are on mission in life, in situations that are dangerous, you will be praying left, right, up, and down. But listen, you don't have to go to a foreign country to experience this. Now, I think everybody should go to a foreign country at least one time. Oh, man, it will change your American eyes forever. But you do not have to go there to live this kind of prayer. When you're trying to share Christ with your neighbor, when you make that your goal, you're going to start praying. When you're trying to figure out how to respond to, to non-Christians who are putting you in a tough situation, you're praying. When the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, hey, go pray for them, you are praying. When the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, you need to get involved in ministry that you don't think you're equipped and qualified for, you're praying. When you, when you start to, when you've been married for years and, and you haven't, or had kids for years and you haven't been praying with your spouse or you haven't been praying with your kids or doing devotions with them and you know it's time to start doing this and you need to step up to the game, you're so filled up with fear and guilt, you know, you start praying. Do you pray like that? I guarantee you, if you are on mission for the Lord, you will be praying like that. Life on mission will be a praying life because they will be desperate for God's power because God loves to throw you into situations you are not equipped for, that you have no business being a part of. And he'll say, here you go, have fun. <laughs> what do I do? You start praying. And then what happens? God shows up. God shows up. And it's one of the coolest experiences in the world. <laughs> it's a cool experience until he says, well, okay, now you've come this far. Let me throw you in even deeper. <laughs> yeah, he loves to do that too. All right. So there, listen, to have this kind of prayer life, there are two types involved. Two types. Okay? And, and they were both present in the New Testament church. And the first type was spontaneous prayer. This means they would be everywhere and they would just be praying. You know, they, you would see them go out in a different situation and they would be praying. What it looks like for us, man, someone brings a God, so God will bring someone to our mind. And we're like, we know we're supposed to pray for them, so we do. We're going through a tough situation that we're about to walk into, we start praying. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for certain things going on in our country or the world, you just start praying. When you're driving down the road and you start praying, eyes open, you start praying. There's a spontaneous prayer, and, it, and it's so important. And I used to, you ever have just people come randomly into your mind or things come into randomly into your mind and you just dismiss them? I had a, a small group director named Toby, love that lady. And, and she said, have you ever considered that sometimes when things pop into your mind, they did not pop into your mind by mistake? I was like, no, I actually have never considered that. I'll tell you, that changed my life forever. Because now when things pop in my mind, and I don't do it a thousand, uh, a thousand, you know, a hundred percent of the time, uh, but I've gotten much better at it, is I will stop and I will pray for that. 
And I can't tell you how many times I'll pray for that. Then the Lord will say, hey, I want you to do this now that you've prayed for that. And then boom, uh, I'll reach out to somebody like, how'd you know I was in this situation? I'm like, I did not. God did. Or I'll tell you, there have been times my wife had this happen to her like a month ago. She felt like she needed to start praying for somebody one night. She did. And then she found out a couple days later of what they were going through that night that she didn't know about. Oh, let me tell you, you want anything to give you a kickstart in your faith? You just start praying for somebody randomly and then you find out later they were going through something. You're like, whoa, God is there. It's so cool. Now, some of you, you're great at spontaneous prayer. You are a spontaneous prayer expert. But a Christian life cannot just be spontaneous prayer. It also needs to be structured prayer because it is very easy in a spontaneous prayer life to become very shallow in the things that we pray for. And if you look in the New Testament church, there was a lot of evidence they had structured prayer. Acts 1, Acts 4, Acts 12, all these times they came together for a consecrated time in prayer. And I got to tell you, I told you all last week, I feel like the Lord is up to something in our church or something new that he's taking us into. I have no idea what it is, but I'm starting to notice things pop up in different corners of our church. Man, there are, the men are gathering together before men's study on Wednesday nights. Only a few of us, but it's a start to pray together. We don't come in here, ain't no TV, ain't no Netflix, ain't no Facebook. We come in here and we pray. Our music team, our music team, you know how I many music teams just get together, they worship, and then they come play the music? You know, they have started to gather on Friday nights before rehearsal to pray together. And as I'm talking to other people in the church, there is this birth and hunger for praying together. I am excited to see what God's doing. I have no idea what it is, but I'm excited for it. They're so important when we come into prayer because it builds our faith. As we hear the prayers of other people, it gives us an ability to encourage them, to pray along with them, to join in with them. It teaches us and reminds us about God's presence as we hear the testimonies and the victories. It reminds us that we are not the only ones who are so screwed up and messed up. As you hear other people's problems, you're like, oh, I'm not so bad now. You pray with them. Man, corporate structured prayer is so important. And it's also individual prayer. We must set side, uh, times aside for prayer because it makes it, you know, I'll tell you right now, one of my biggest joys and my biggest fears is when I get to heaven I, and, and we finally see how prayer works, I'll be like, what? And I'm gonna be like, man, I'm scared to see of all the opportunities I missed to play a role in God's kingdom. I'm also excited to see the opportunities where I got to play a role. In fact, there's a good story about this. Uh, I've, you've heard me mention him before. His name's D.L. Moody. I think I got a picture for you of what he looks like. He was alive here in the, the 1800s, D.L. Moody. And he was this guy who preached in the, the inner city of Chicago. And, uh, and, he, and, he, and, and big uh, revivals would break open over his preaching. Funny thing, because he wasn't a well-spoken man. His literacy was horrible. He makes up words and says more words wrong than I do, right? He makes me look like a scholar. And yet, but the God was moving through him. He would go into New England, into Europe, all over the places. And, and so there was this one, uh, one time that he was in England preaching, and it was a Sunday morning. And, and he wrote in his journal that it was one of those times when you would preach, and, and it seemed like nobody was listening. Preachers have those kind of moments. It's very humbling when it happens. It doesn't happen at Echo Lake, but it happens at other places where you're like praying and you look and there's somebody in the corner and they're, and you got other people that are playing with their phone or they're talking to people and you're like, what, what, why am I even talking? There's nobody paying attention. 
And so it was one of those mornings for him. And when he left the service that morning, he was supposed to come back that night. He wasn't very excited because Sunday night services are always less attended and they're always a little less enthusiastic, right? So he came back that night and he was ready just to get out of town. Well, when he preached that night, he writes that there was a different atmosphere in the room. He said people were on the edge of his seats. They were listening intently. And then he said that when he shared the gospel, he said, if you'd like to place your faith in Christ, stand up. And he said people stood up across the room. And he said he was so shocked and so surprised because of what Sunday morning was like, he told everybody to sit back down. And he said, I don't think they get what I'm saying. So he re-preached the gospel again and said, okay, if you want to you accept Jesus, stand back up. And he said even more people stood up. And they still didn't believe it because of how bad Sunday morning was. And he said, okay, he preached it all over again and explained the gospel. He said, all right, if you really want Jesus, come back and meet with me and the pastor in, the back, in this back auditorium. And he said, so many people came back. And he's like, I don't think they get what they're coming for. He said, I'll tell you what, if you really want Jesus in your life, I want everybody to go home, you come back tomorrow night and you meet with the pastor here because he had to leave. And so they just missed everybody. And so a few days later, he gets a telegram and it's from the pastor and it says this, it says, Moody, you need to get back over here. More people showed up on Monday night than Sunday night and everybody wants to give their life to Christ. So Moody came back, he preached for weeks, and it records that hundreds upon hundreds of people came to faith in Christ. What changed? Now Moody, he was an inquisitive guy, so he did, he asked around, he kept asking around, asking around, trying to figure out what the difference was. He did some research, and finally found out through talking to somebody who knew somebody, he found out that there was this one bedridden woman. She lived in the town, but she hadn't been to the church that Sunday morning because of her illness, right? The Sunday morning that didn't go so well. And, and her sister who took care of her came in and they brought her, brought her lunch. And, and this woman, bedridden woman asked her sister, she goes, well, how did, how did things go? The sister goes, well, it was okay. This guy named D.L. Moody preached and, and it wasn't very exciting, right? And, and, and it's recorded that the bed, bedridden woman's eyes is lit up. And she's like, I've heard of this guy. I read about him in a magazine. I've been praying that God would bring him to our church. And she told her sister, I want you to put my food aside. I am going to fast and pray for the rest of the day because I believe that God wants to bring a mighty revival of his spirit through this man. And D.L. Moody was like, that's the reason. I wonder how many other people were praying that day for Sunday even that D.L. Moody never knew about that increased the power of God moving in that place. I wonder how many people prayed and, and that, that day and they don't even ever knew about the impact that their prayers made. Oh, church, the power of prayer. And listen, this is for you sitting at home right now, for you sitting at home and can't be here physically, this should be an encouragement for you. You still can do ministry. You can pray. It's scripture time and time again. It says when you pray, according to his word, God will respond. If you feel like you can't do anything, you pray. You pray for the success for God's kingdom, your prayers will get answered. Until the day you breathe your last breath, you have a call in your life. You can pray. And we need to be praying the same thing. Lord, do your work. Allow us to respond to your spirit.
Give us the nations, give us the town, give us the people. Pour your spirit out on this place. These are the kind of things that happen in those structured times of prayer. So with this said, I want to give you three, three quick challenges. Three things to do. And you're going to hurt them a million times. A million times you're going to have hurt them. But I'm going to tell you again, because just as no man fails on purpose, no man succeeds by accident. So we're going to walk out of here with a plan. One, I want you to memorize a verse of scripture all day, every day. Well, we talked about that when we pray according to the word of God, he is going to answer. So what I want you to do is I want to find a scripture that speaks to your situation. I want you to memorize it. Perhaps you're going through a struggle right now and, and things feel unsettled and you don't know what's going to happen. You, you memorize Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. And then what you do is you pray it all day long. Every time fear comes in, God, I, I thank you that you're my refuge. I thank you that you are my, my, my strength. I thank you that you are my help, Lord. I pray for that help today. I rejoice in it. Now, maybe this next week you memorize one verse. Maybe you memorize seven. But start getting scripture to your, to your mind and to your heart. Pray over it. You pray scripture, you will always success in your life. And I don't care how you memorize it. You can use a journal and write it down time and time again. I've told you a hundred times about the Bible memory app that I use, that I love, that's helped me memorize so many scriptures. You download that, I'll give you a free tutorial. Memorize scripture. In fact, man, man maybe in two, I don't know, maybe next year we should start an initiative where we memorize scripture together as a church. One a month or one a week, I don't know. Something to get scripture into our lives. Number two, set aside structured time to pray for local and global needs around you. Set aside time. That means you take time where you set aside nothing to do but pray. TV goes away, iPhone goes away, it's all gone. You take out, you take out and you pray for the needs of your friends around you. You write them down. You know what you do? I started doing years ago. Someone taught me this. Every time someone gave them a prayer request, they would write it down. So that when they went to pray, they would remember it. Now, being the techie guy that I am, I use the Echo app. I use this Echo app that I downloaded, really easy to find. I think I got a slide so you can see what it looks like. You can download this, and, and you put it up there uh, on your phone, and every time someone gives you a prayer request, you type it in. And then when you go to pray, you got all your prayer requests right there. And what's great is they stick there. Even months later, you can pray for them. I, sometimes you give me prayer requests, and months later, you're like, I ask you about it, and you're like, wow, you remembered. I didn't remember. I just have it in my phone. I, I'm going I'm to be. But you know what? I put effort to put it in my phone, so give me credit for that. You remember it, so you keep praying. And then you can put updates in it and answer, however you want to do it. Pray for your community. How often do you pray for God to give you the houses in your neighborhood or for God to give this church the houses in this neighborhood and the people? When you're watching the news, how often do you just complain and whine about what you see and you don't stop and you don't pray for it? Structured times of prayer. God has called us to stand in the gap to seek the Lord. 
and to pray for the nations around the world. In fact, I'm, I'm using these, getting these little books. They'll be in here a couple of weeks. And they have all the countries in the world and interesting facts about the countries. And you take them and you'll pray over one day by day. And what happens is when you start to pray for the world and pray for the town, the Lord starts to give you a heart for it. He starts to awaken something in you. The eyes and the mission and the calling of your life, it starts to become real to you. Now, some of you, you're gonna say, I don't have time. Patrick Morley said, one of the most fantastic things on time ever written. He says, you have all the time you need to do everything God wants you to do. I'm gonna read it again. You have all the time you need to do everything that God wants you to do. If you do not have time for prayer, it's because you're spending time on something that God does not want you to do, period. And I do it. I'll tell you every morning. I'll tell you how many times my prayer time is I walk in here a little early before I start and I come down here and I, and I pray right in here. I wanna pray right in here. You know how many times I prayed right in here last week? I did it yesterday. Why? Just so I could say I did it at least once. And why do I do that? Because I, I walk in here and I feel everything that I gotta do. I feel my plate full. I feel the anxiety of all of it. I gotta get it done. I gotta work on my message. And, I, and so I just sit down and I go to work. But no, when I'm doing those things, when I'm letting fear and anxiety get on my plate, instead of coming in here to do the work that God has called me to do in prayer. So I'm human just like you. Find a time, mine's in the mornings. You start out with five minutes, you start out with 10 minutes. Don't start out with five hours and set these lofty goals. You start out with 10 and you build on it. It snowballs, set aside time for prayer. And then continue that prayer throughout the day. Only praying once a day, it's like, it's like eating a potato chip. You ever just ate one potato chip? Are you ever satisfied? No, you gotta eat the entire bag. The entire bag. See, the worship team, they're so excited they came out early because they're pumped up to worship. They're pumped up to pray. It's all right. No, no, you're all excited. I like this. I'm serious. You pray throughout the day. When you walk into your job, you do what? Pray. When you get done from your job and you're going home to be with your family, what do you do? Pray. When you are going to bed at night, what do you do? Are you getting on a phone call to call somebody about something tough? What do you do? In every situation you pray, Lord, help me do this. Help me do this. Help me to give you glory here. Build this relationship of prayer in your life. I tell you now, if we do that as individuals and as a church, as we call out to the Lord, say, I need your supply. I need your power to do what you've called me to do, to be the man or woman you've called me to be. He will answer and he will do great things in our lives if we would just pray. <laughs>